Good morning, everyone. Um, Our Bible reading today uh, comes from the book of John, chapter 15, verse 26, to chapter 16, verse 15. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said, the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sally. I have our family who live in a small beachside town, and a few years ago, Ronnie and I were there and decided we'd go for a swim. And we were swimming at a spot where the river meets the ocean, this big expanse of water at the river mouth. And as we were swimming, we saw big kind of storm clouds start to move in over the coast towards us. And before we knew it, there was an active thunderstorm raging right above our heads. And so Ronnie, Ronnie got a bit panicky and, and she said, Sam, we need to get out of the water. We can't swim in the ocean during a thunderstorm. We might get electrocuted. And I kind of scoffed. I said, that's, that's ridiculous. You don't get electrocuted swimming in a thunderstorm. So uh, I kept swimming. She kind of nervously hung around, kept swimming for a while. Eventually we got cold and went home. But when we got home, we found the house uh, in a bit of a panic, about to send out search parties looking for us, worried that we had indeed been electrocuted as we swam in the water because, as everybody knows, swimming in the ocean during a thunderstorm is an incredibly dangerous thing to do. 
what I had uh, assumed to be some kind of urban myth turned out to be absolutely true and my stubbornness, my refusal to listen to the truth as Ronnie shared it with me put us in apparently some significant danger. And we all do this sometimes, right? We, we don't listen to the truth sometimes for all kinds of reasons. Maybe we don't like what it means for us. Maybe we're just too stubborn like I was. But sometimes we just don't listen to the truth. Maybe you've watched one of these uh, kind of natural disaster movies that are released periodically all the time and follow basically the same script every one of these films, right? And one of the essential little kind of plot devices of these natural disaster movies is that somewhere in a lab there's a scientist, maybe a kind of a, a nerdy intern who predicts what's going to happen and, and tries to tell their superiors, tries to tell the world of this impending disaster, but the truth that they share is ignored by everyone and so on comes that disaster. I suppose if the superiors did listen to the intern scientists sharing the truth about what was happening, there'd be a much less compelling plot after that. Sometimes people listen to the truth. Sometimes people accept the truth. Sometimes people hear the truth but reject it. And that's what we see going on in our passage that Sally just read for us from Jesus' farewell discourse with his followers. Jesus is teaching his disciples the night before the events of the crucifixion will begin in this last evening that he has with them. He's teaching them about what life will be like for them when he goes away after he's crucified, resurrected and ascends back to the Father in heaven. And he's particularly focusing in on what it will mean for them to receive and experience the Holy Spirit in them. Jesus has been speaking, uh, as we've explored over the last few weeks, about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in his followers, in us, and he continues to do so this morning. He will send the Holy Spirit, he says, to be with them, and that will be even better than having him with them. Jesus is preparing his followers for life after Pentecost, Life with the Holy Spirit of God living inside them and life in which they will suffer for Jesus. And so today we're going to focus right in, in this passage, on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the person and the work of the third member of the Trinity. He's been right at the forefront of this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And we're going to ask three questions in particular about the Holy Spirit. If you've got a new sheet and you're a note-taking kind of person, you can see these questions there. What does the passage teach us about who the Holy Spirit is, about what the Holy Spirit does, and about how he does it? What does the passage teach us about who the Holy Spirit is, what he does, and how he does it? So, Let's, let's dive into that first question then. What does this passage say about who the Holy Spirit is? Well, have a look uh, in your Bible there from the very first verse of our reading. What's the Holy Spirit called in verse 26? The Advocate and the Spirit of Truth. Those are two kind of significant recurring titles that Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit through this conversation. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. We explored this term a few weeks back. 
maybe you remember. It's, it's variously translated as, as helper or counsellor or comforter. We use the, the illustration, the, the analogy of the Spirit being a bit like a refugee advocate who's, who's helping the refugee in whatever way they need help. He's a generalist kind of helper, a generalist kind of advocate. And as he advocates, he's doing so in two directions as well. On the one hand, right, the refugee advocate is representing the needs of that refugee in society, whether it's in, in court or in, in Centrelink or wh- whatever context it might be. And at the same time, they're, they're helping, they're teaching, they're educating the refugee, helping them to understand about how to live in that new society. And so the advocate, as they help, is working in both directions strengthening that connection between the refugee and the new society. Likewise, the Holy Spirit strengthens the connection between Jesus' followers and God himself. He represents us before God. He brings us before God and he helps us to become who God calls us to be. The Holy Spirit is the advocate and he's the spirit of truth. He communicates truth. He, he speaks what is true. And we'll particularly explore this title as we think about the Spirit. If the Spirit is the, the advocate and he's the Spirit of truth, the one who speaks truth, then what does he do? What's his, his ministry? What's his task? Well, have a look again in verse 26. We're still just in that very first verse. He will testify about Jesus. When the advocate comes, whom I, that's Jesus, will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He will testify about me, Jesus says. Uh, testify, that's a word that we, we maybe don't use a whole lot these days except in kind of legal settings, right? A witness in a court case might testify about what they saw to establish what is true. And the spirit of truth, what does he testify about? About Jesus. Because Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. In this same conversation with his friends that we heard a few weeks ago, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not, not I know the truth. Not you can find truth through me. No, he says, I am the truth. If you went to work tomorrow morning or to school and you asked someone, what is truth? What do you think they'd say? Well, I think first they'd probably look at you with this look of, like, really, first thing on a Monday morning? Can't we just do our work and drink our coffee? But then I think if you press them for an answer, they'd probably stumble out something like, truth is the knowledge that helps us live a good life or truth is what you choose to believe 
or they might say there isn't really any objective truth. But if you're a Christian, then we have an answer to the question, what is truth? Jesus. See, what is truth isn't even really the right question. Who is the truth is the right question. And the answer is Jesus. Who Jesus is, God and human, our rescuer and our friend, that's truth. Everything Jesus said about himself, about the Father, about the life that he calls us to, that's truth. The life that Jesus calls us to live of radical love and self-giving, that's truth. The eternal life found only in Christ, the eternal death that claims those who are apart from him, that's truth. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And so when the spirit of truth testifies, he testifies about the one who is truth, about Jesus. The Spirit testifies the good news of Jesus to the whole world. And Jesus unpacks how the Spirit does this a bit further in verses 8 to 11, which, if you scan your eyes over it now, maybe, like me, when you came to these verses, initially find somewhat confusing. They're a little difficult to unpick, verses 8 to 11. So have a look at those in front of you there. Verse 8 tells us that the Spirit will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. What does that mean? He's the spirit of truth. He's speaking truth to the world. He's speaking Christ to the world. And do you remember that important phrase, the world, that we've been exploring over the last few weeks? It's been coming up again and again, the Greek word cosmos. It means the created order in rebellion against God the things that God has made that reject him. And so then the, the meaning there, as the Spirit proves the world to be in the wrong, is it's far beyond kind of like victory in an argument. Right? Like the, the other night, my niece coming out into the lounge room to ask the grown-ups to settle a spelling dispute she was having with her brother as they lay in bed. Right? It's not proving to be in the wrong in an argument kind of way. No, the Spirit's work of proving the world to be in the wrong is a a convicting, an exposing kind of, of truth, of proving to be in the wrong. Don Carson calls this shaming the world and convincing it of its own guilt, thus calling it to repentance. Do you remember the story of, of Nathan after David's adultery with Bathsheba telling him, the parable of the rich man stealing the poor man's sheep and then sticking the knife in, exposing David as that very rich man. He was proving David to be in the wrong. Or in the story of the Wizard of Oz, the great mysterious wizard having the curtain pulled back to expose that he is in fact just a man operating a machine. He was proved to be in the wrong. And that's like what the Spirit does with the world, with the created order in rebellion against God. As the Gospel goes to the ends of the earth, as person by person, by their billions, are brought to faith, the world is revealed to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. 
the created order in rebellion against God is, is shamed, exposed, as God achieves his great plan and so that ultimately he might express his John 3.16 love for that very world. Now none of us, I would suspect, enjoy being proven to be wrong, right? I'm sure after our swim at the beach, my wife would testify that I don't enjoy being proved to be in the wrong. That's why the world resists the gospel as the Spirit takes it across the world. Jesus himself said that he came with a sword. The gospel divides humanity in two and demands repentance. It's no wonder that Jesus is anticipating his suffering here for his disciples and he's anticipating their suffering when they take their place in the proclamation of the gospel. I found a really interesting reading a couple of months ago that one of the reasons experts suggest that um, Putin's invasion of Ukraine was far less swift and simple than he anticipated was that his advisers are afraid to tell him the truth. Though in many cases his generals, other advisers, they knew that Ukraine's force was strong and that their own forces weren't strong enough. They declined to tell Putin for fear of his reaction, for fear of reprisal. Those advisers were not able to speak the truth because of fear of repercussions. But with the Holy Spirit in us, we must not fall into that pattern. The Holy Spirit speaks truth to the world, even when that truth is difficult to hear or costly to accept. And so must we. We must speak the truth of the gospel even to a world which opposes that gospel and even might oppose us as we preach it. You see that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of truth, he speaks truth to the world to rescue us, to save the world. He is the one who would convince us away from death and into life. As he speaks truth, he patiently and pointedly directs us to Jesus as our great hope, our deliverer, our life now and forever. He speaks truth to save us from the lies that we might live for, the lies that lead to selfish living and and futility and destruction. When we think that our own happiness is the most important thing in life. The Spirit convicts us. He proves us to be in the wrong. When we think that we're good enough people, that we live good lives, that we've been good enough to earn God's love, the Spirit convicts me of my sin and my need for rescue. When we think that there is no God, that this world is all that there is, that we're not ultimately accountable for the way we live our lives. The Spirit exposes the lie in our hearts, speaks truth to our hearts. And here's the difficult reality of 
the message of truth that the Spirit speaks. Truth brings some to salvation and some to judgment. The same truth brings some to salvation and some to judgment. When the Spirit speaks truth to people, when he testifies about Jesus, some people's hearts see the truth, come to know the truth, and they're saved. They're brought into freedom and hope and new life. But some people are exposed by the truth and their hearts recoil, reject the truth, and they're condemned. There's an old saying that the same sun which melts the ice bakes hard the clay. The same truth of Jesus which the Spirit brings brings some to salvation and some to judgment. Do you remember the, the, the Me Too movement that kind of erupted a few years ago and, and continues with waves of exposures of sexual harassment that kind of began with uh, Hollywood like Harvey Weinstein and guys like that and kind of moved through society. The, the truth that was being exposed in that movement brought some people liberation and brought other people judgment and punishment. The same truth brought both things as it came into the light. Imagine like turning on a light in a dark room. Whatever was happening in that darkness is revealed. It's exposed. And when the Spirit shines the light of the Gospel on people's lives, some are saved and some are condemned. As Jesus says, some love the darkness. Now, this is, this, is, this is a hard truth. This is a difficult reality. If you're here and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian, that's quite a confronting thing to be told. We don't like being told that we're wrong, right? We hate the idea of, of God judging people and condemning them. But the truth is that we're all exposed by the light of truth. All of us. It's not just like what happened in Hollywood where some people were exposed to have done wrong and some people weren't. We've all done wrong. You and me, everyone. When the light is turned on, we are all shown up. We all see the imperfections of our hearts and our lives. We all see our own selfishness and pride. Our guilt is exposed. And the question is, what happens next? When the Spirit speaks truth to your heart, when the light of the Gospel is shone on your heart, what will you do next? The same sun which melts the ice bakes hard the clay. Will your heart be like ice melting, softening and thawing and and receiving the truth? Or will your heart be like clay baking hard against the light and the truth?
the Holy Spirit is, is the advocate and he's the spirit of truth. And we've seen that he, he speaks truth to the world. But we've got one more question to ask from this passage. What does this passage say about how the Spirit does it? How does he speak truth to the world? Well, he speaks truth, he testifies the gospel to the world through believers, through Christians, through followers of Jesus, through us. Jesus says it there in verse 7, I will send him, that's the Spirit, to you. And when he testifies, verse 27, believers also must testify. Just as a spirit testifies as he lives in us, so we must testify. And we don't do it in our own strength. We do it with the indwelling spirit of God empowering us. And that was the story for these guys, right, that Jesus is talking to, these first bunch of followers. Do you remember what what happens after Jesus dies and is raised and ascends? They're confused. They're afraid. They're uncertain. And then the spirit of truth filled them. And suddenly they were preaching fearlessly and persuasively. The spirit spoke the truth to 3,000 people through them on that very first day. And that's still what he does. The spirit still speaks truth to the world through us, through our words. Sometimes it feels hard to see that in our own lives, but it is absolutely the the MO of the Spirit. This is what he still does. Because sometimes, right, the Spirit speaks truth to people. Sometimes God brings people to salvation in quite remarkable, unique ways. I have one friend who became a Christian after the Spirit of God appeared to her in a dream, called her to follow him. That's totally outside my own experience. But she's been following Jesus faithfully and joyfully for decades since he called her to him that way. The Spirit spoke truth to her. Another friend became a Christian about five years after he was given a little Gideon Bible at school. He'd never been to church in his life, but he felt himself starting to ask questions about truth and life. And for some reason, he remembered that tiny little Bible that he put on his shelf. He picked it up, he started reading, and the spirit of truth just went, went bang and brought him to salvation and faith in Jesus. He started living for Jesus now. He's, he's a pastor preaching that gospel. The spirit may testify the gospel to human hearts without believers in unique and miraculous ways like that. But believers never testify the gospel without the Holy Spirit. Whenever we preach the gospel, whenever we share the gospel with our lives and with our words, it's by the power of the Spirit. And it's that story, the much more regular conversion story of a believer sharing the gospel with their words, with their lives, by the power of the Spirit, one person to another. That's God's chosen norm to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. That, that boring testimony, right, which is mine, maybe it's yours as well, of, of growing up in a Christian home, of seeing your parents, others around you, witness the Christian life to you, 
hearing the message of the gospel from Sunday school leaders, from youth leaders, from the pulpit, making decisions to follow Jesus on youth camps, maybe many times. That, that normal story is every bit as spirit-empowered and miraculous as Jesus bringing someone to salvation through a dream. The spirit of truth is always at work through believers. He's always speaking truth to our hearts and to the world through us. So expect him to do that. See him do that in your own life. When you tell someone about your faith, even in a a very unremarkable way, when you give someone a Bible, when you live differently to those around you to show your commitment to Jesus, when you show grace to your children and tell them who the God of grace is, you're not doing it on your own. You're doing it by the power of God's Holy Spirit in you. So don't be afraid to do it. Don't be afraid to take risks. Don't be afraid to take your place in that one person at a time, person by person spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Don't be afraid to speak gospel truth to someone's life, to someone's questions. Don't be afraid to offer to pray for someone. And and here's the, the thing for us to remember as we do that, as we take our place in that work of the Spirit. If we're going to testify with the Spirit of truth, and if Jesus is the truth, then we need to speak about Jesus. We need to share the person who is truth. Testify about Jesus. Make it all about Jesus. When you share your faith with someone, this is what you're sharing. You're sharing the person of Christ. Apologetics, if you have to, absolutely. Other issues, questions about church and institutional religion, yep, absolutely. But talk about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is the truth. There's nothing else as important. There's no one else who saves. When I tell people I'm a pastor, people that I meet at an event or the hairdresser or whoever, what kind of context, they often ask what I actually do. And I try to say that I spend my time helping people know Jesus better. I want them to know something from that conversation about who Jesus is. I want the follow-up question to be a question about Jesus. Your friends, your colleagues, whoever might want to talk about creation and evolution. They might want to talk about marriage. They might want to talk about the relationship between church and state. There's any number of things that they might want to ask about. And of course, we don't want to ignore those questions. Those are important questions for people to ask as they investigate or come to try to understand Christian faith. But try to talk about Jesus. Try to bring it back to Jesus. No one's going to be saved by understanding your perspective on creation and evolution. But they might get saved if you tell them about Christ. A next-door neighbour of mine was always really um, kind of positive and interested when I would talk about my work at church as she asked about our initiatives to care for vulnerable people, to provide counselling, support for people in crisis, which is an important part of the work that we do. But as soon as I would 
try to start talking about helping people know Jesus or about how we teach the Bible, she would quickly disengage from the conversation. Remember, it's, it's the person, it's the gospel of Jesus that divides humanity. It's only the person in the gospel of Jesus that can bring salvation. It's got to be Jesus on repeat like a broken record. When the spirit of truth testifies Christ to the world, sometimes people refuse to accept the truth like me in a thunderstorm and it's a tragedy. But sometimes they hear the truth and they believe and they're saved into new life now and forever. And that is a miracle that we get to be part of. So why don't I thank God that we get to be part of that story and pray that we would take our place in it. Would you pray with me? Spirit of truth, thank you for speaking the truth of Christ, the truth of the gospel to our hearts. Fill us and empower us and overflow from us to speak the truth to those around us as you show your great love for the world and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.